Hi guys, welcome to the Fife Property Show. We're going to be talking today about how Brexit will affect Fife house prices and your mortgage payments. Roll V. Hi guys, welcome to the Five Property Show. It's going to be an exciting day today. We're going to be talking about how Brexit will affect Five House prices, also how will it affect your mortgage payments. I've been doing some numbers and it's like, wow, <laughs> it's pretty frightening when you look at these numbers in isolation. But never mind, we're here to talk about it and our experts today and coming on the panel are Andrea Stanford. Hi Andrea, how are you? Morning Jim, I'm fine, thank you. Good stuff. Uh, Richard Cook. Morning, Jim. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Good stuff. And uh, Neil Bird. So Neil's on today. Hi, hi, Neil. How are you? Good, Jim. Thanks, you. Great stuff. Yeah, absolutely fantastic today. Um, it's going to be an exciting show today. I'm looking forward to this. Um, so um, we'll kick into it straight away. Christmas Eve brought the news that Boris Johnson had conclusively agreed on a Brexit deal with the UK and the European Union. This gave the optimism that economic turmoil of leaving the EU would be radically reduced as a result. Yet with this trade deal, do the value of your five home and the mortgage payments you will have to make, will that change or how that will affect it? So since the summer, the five property market has been booming, yet many commentators have also cautioned that the momentum cannot really last. With unemployment and the end of the stamp duty holiday on the 31st of March, the Halifax has reported last week that it believes the UK house prices would actually drop by at least 2% and in some areas, 5% in 2021. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that, guys? Yeah, I think I think it's great that obviously we've got here with this Brexit deal. Uh, obviously, the, the new trade deal in place. I think obviously there's always going to be a bit uncertainty about what's going to happen, like what obviously the predictions with COVID. So I think it's um, just have to wait and see, really. Um, like we've done for a long time, a lot of things, but because um, like I say, the predictions with COVID and the housing market didn't transpire the way they were supposed to. Um, they went the completely polar opposite. So um, with Brexit, I think. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. I think um, there's lots of different, lots of different predictions, um, and I think it will differ um, across the country. I think as well, with area and that as well. So. I mean, unemployment sitting at you know it was three point seven percent a year ago, and now it's six point three percent on a local basis in Fife. Yeah. You know that's quite a high unemployment, and that's with furlough in place. You know, so you know how do you think that's going to affect things, Neil? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think unemployment's probably the biggest issue. Um, Brexit in and of itself with the, the fact that we've got a deal i don't think that's the bigger issue i think it's the effects of COVID long term that are going to and with unemployment being the key factor um i mean the markets mortgage market's in a good place right now generally speaking as long as you can prove your income so therefore unemployment is there becomes a problem later on um and obviously if unemployment doesn't continue to increase there's going to be less people able to get a mortgage therefore that could um, impact on the property market because there might be less confidence of being able to sell 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about unemployment later on, but unemployment could actually reach about 11% once furlough ends. You know, let's be honest, hands up who thinks furlough's not going to end. I think that, yeah, they'll extend that. <laughs> yeah. I can't see it ending. I, I mean, I can't see it ending because, I mean, that's, that's almost like just going off the end of a cliff in terms of where we are just now because we never predicted, really. I mean, they did, they did say about setting waves and stuff like that in terms of coronavirus. And, and the, the, I mean, I wouldn't have predicted that the wave, the setting wave would have been like it was just now. You know, where they're sitting saying it's actually worse than it was yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know, I know, we keep saying not to do it, but I was watching the news last night, and uh, uh, the figures and things are quite frightening. So. Mm -hmm. um, Morning, Ian. Thanks for watching. Uh, Andrea, yeah, over to you. When... Yeah, I was just going to ask. You know, obviously, with um, people potentially losing jobs at the end of furlough, and sorry to be all doom and gloom again. That seems to be my place on this show. Um, but the mortgage, mortgage protection insurance. Um, I mean, what is the the amount of people that actually take that up, and is it likely to become mandatory for people getting new mortgages? Meaning unemployment cover? Yeah. Um, it, well, you can't get it anymore. It was oh, it's right. basically pulled as soon as the first lockdown hit. Um, mm. So the insurance companies withdrew it because of the potential likelihood of, of rising unemployment. The same back at the beginning of the credit crunch, when unemployment started to rise, it was a product that was withdrawn from the market. And it's not something that a great deal of people took before we got to this point either, because obviously most people think their jobs are fairly secure and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, it's very, very few people are going to have that protection, I would say. So it's a much more serious decision than about taking on a mortgage and the liabilities of it. Yeah, um, but then it's one of these things. It's it's always a serious decision. It's the biggest financial decision people generally make in their lives. Um, and I suppose it will also depend on what sector of the economy you're in. Um, I don't think anyone expected the, the property in the mortgage markets to be probably one of the most robust sectors of the economy after we came came through the initial lockdown. So it, that's holding up very well, whereas people obviously in the service industries, the hotels, the caterers, the restaurants, the pubs, there's, there's a hellish situation for them. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, people still need to be, buy houses. People are going to have kids. They need to move homes. It's this the people will be doing it. You'll yeah, probably we, find that at most people that if anything does happen, it's usually the people that have got larger equity in their home that have stayed in their home for quite a while that are actually able to move on. You know, that's typically the profile, isn't it? Yeah, um, and especially with obviously if there is doubt in the market and lenders for whatever reason reduce the loan to value that they're prepared to go up to. Though, I mean, that's one of the good news stories probably coming into 2021 is that there's, on the, from a mortgage point of view, there's a lot more stability in the market. Things are improving and on a weekly basis, you're getting new lenders coming back into the 90% lending sector. So at the moment, things are still on an upward curve as far as the mortgage market's concerned, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I find it fascinating that the five property markets defied the doom and gloom and swamp, <laughs> the, 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 swamp in the, the wider British economy. Uh, over the last seven months and the five property market has profited from a large swell really in demand and better off existing five homeowners 
have uh, trying to buy a larger five houses as they're required to do from work from home really together will add will have the added benefit of saving money with the stamp duty holiday as well i mean the stamp duty holiday is an implication as well in itself i mean you know we've said that already you know we think that's going to end as well i, I don't think so i can't see the stamp duty holiday uh, finishing that uh, ending either Oh, I'd agree. I mean, if they're extending everything else, it would make sense to extend that. Um, and it, I mean, obviously in Scotland, we still have stamp duty above 250, so it's not being completely taken away. Um, and our, I think below our, below that figure, our, our stamp duty is, I think is, I believe is less than it is in, in England too. So it's, it's not like the old system of stamp duty where it was it's still pretty expensive at that, that level. Um, but yeah, like you say, they've extended furlough three times now, I think. Um, it, they keep talking about light at the end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel. What's the mm. point of pulling the plug before we get to the end of the tunnel? Yeah. I was going to ask you, Neil, see if we've got you captive for a moment. Um, <laughs> should we, there's been, I've noticed quite a lot of first time buyer inquiries for property. Um, should we be advising them, apart from coming to see someone like yourself if they've not already done so, but to, you know, maybe take advantage of the, the first home fund when it comes back in, you know, to hold off or should they be buying now while, while there's plenty of property out there? Um, well, I, I wouldn't that's say to hold That's one I thought as well. I mean, the implications, could somebody actually agree to buy a house now and wait for the first home fund to come in? Or is that would that not be allowed? <laughs> in theory, but then you're asking somebody to wait on their their sale going through until April May, which is yeah. I don't think you're going to get many sellers right now agreeing to that. But I mean, it, it's been agreed that the first home fund will return at the moment. It's slated for April. We're quietly crossing our fingers and toes that they bring it forward. But with I would say I wouldn't encourage people to to wait necessarily because. As I say, the the uplift in the the ninety percent lending that is out there does mean that there are probably more options for first time buyers than there were even just three weeks ago. Um, there's also been an improvement to the the lift scheme, which is the low income first time buyers scheme that isn't as commonly used. Um, but one of the the key things that they've done with that is that they've removed the limit on the number of bedrooms you can buy on the property. So just to give you an example, if you're a young couple with a child, you need two bedrooms, you're allowed to buy a three bedroom house. That was the limit. Now they've removed that limit and you could buy a five bedroom house if you wanted to. There are still price level restrictions on that, each uh, the number of bed per number of bedrooms, but the, the overall limit in terms of what you're actually entitled to has been removed, which is a big help. And like the first home fund, that's a scheme that generally the client only needs a 5% deposit for. Oh, wow. So there that's are the, other schemes out there. Scheme. Yeah, yeah, low-income first-time buyer. Um, it's, again, government shared equity scheme where the government could actually put in up to, um, well, nearly 40%. So the client necessarily only needs to put it, take out a 60% mortgage or 60% share, sorry, um, including their five percent deposit, so it does open up a, a lot of other avenues. Unlike the first home fund, it is means tested. There are a lot more rules around it, but that's again why you need to speak to an advisor. Okay, and that would be somebody like yourself, Neil. Of course, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So five house prices have actually increased by 5.3% higher than over a year ago, making our local authority in the area of the 140th best performing out of 396 authorities in the UK. So that, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, you used to always say that Fife was actually the back end of everything. And, and to be 140th out of 369 local authorities um, is pretty good in the UK. So with Brexit, um, with the Brexit deal being voted through the Commons on the 30th, uh, many saying that this will boost the property market just as the government-backed measures supporting the property market come to an end. Uh, yet, in the face of the rising unemployment due to the pandemic, um, the Brexit deal may do little more than avoid uncertainty for the five housing market. Uh, uh, you know, is that is that what we're, we're thinking, Richard? Yeah, I would agree with that statement. I mean, like I say uh, at the start there, um, again, we're back in a situation where there's a, a bit of uncertainty about how things are going to transpire, and I think it will differ um, in areas across the country um, with regards to house prices and how the market's going to ch uh, change. On a local level in the East Nuke, I think, I mean, you know, I've not read the, the Brexit deal in, inside out, but I've no. got the impression um, our fisheries um, in Scotland has actually been sold up the river or, you know, sold out to sea, uh, excuse the pun, in terms of in terms of where we are. So will that have an effect on the East Nuke market? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not totally up to all the facts with the, with the trade deal, but I do know, obviously, the, the fisheries and things is a big part, obviously. Uh, trade and, and these nuking things um, and I think there will be some impact to a certain degree but again we'll just have to wait and see but I do think like you say it has been uh, it hasn't been the best deal for the fisheries and the, the that side of the industry and areas like these nuking things where it is quite well you look at the east nuke as well though anyway you're, you're kind of thinking I mean what was listed last year um, and the number of properties coming on to the number of properties actually sold um, the number of properties sold was 120% of the properties coming on so, you know, even though the East Nuke had a wee bit of a hit in terms mm -hmm. of supply and demand, they would still be probably outperforming. You know, yeah. I mean, the 20% hit is still bringing them back. There's still, they're, they're still demand there. Yeah. The East Nuke's always going to be an area that's going to be attractive for people, you know, not the people that have grown up there that still want to live there. Obviously, there's the demand for housing for these people is a different subject, but, um, you know, do you think it's lack of supply? Do you think it's actually because, because we should be building more houses in the East Nuke? You know, I'm we not talking about private housing, I'm talking about social housing. Yeah, I think social housing should be getting built everywhere, but especially for the people that have grown up in these smaller communities that cannot get on the housing ladder at all because they're outpriced by people coming from England, Wales, uh, overseas and that to buy a second home. And, you know, and it's, yes, the, in, the tourism industry in these areas is part of what keeps it alive, but it's also it's killing it as well because the locals are being forced out to other areas. It's a balancing, it's a balancing act to a degree. Uh, you know, there, there, is a, there, is a, there is a good mix to have there in terms of tenure, in terms of what house types and house styles and house mixture and, you know, private rented sector, social rented sector, council housing sector. I talk about social as in housing associations, uh, council uh, housing. So, you know, but when, when I talk about house building programme, I'm talking about council housing. I'm not really talking about a social housing provider or a private landlord. I'm talking about council. Council, it should be really building. We know ourselves that council are actually buying property just now. They're not wanting to build because they can't afford to build because it's not cost effective for them. So they're actually given, they've been given uh, the adjudication actually to buy another 50 houses 
So council is actually effectively competing against first-time buyers, um, which you know is a bit rich considering they used to <laughs> they used to castigate us on it. Um, but that's another story. So you know, definitely the, the Brexit agreement might have a, sm a smaller impact on us than it would have in London. Would that be fair to say, Neil? I would think so. Um, <clears throat> like you say, the well, again, the East Nuke and well, the fisheries sector. I'm, I'm no expert, um, and obviously, it depends on which whether you're talking to a politician or in London or a politician in Edinburgh as to how good or bad the Brexit deal's been. I think that what I do think is that the changes are being phased in over five years or something like that. So I think hopefully any impact, good or bad, would be slow to, to occur. Um, like, say, the market in that area is buoyant, like Andrea mentioned. Well, you, you talked about people buying in that area for second homes, but I've actually spoken to a number of people over the last year, a lot of them referrals from yourselves, that it's people actually wanting to relocate back to Scotland or move to Scotland for the first time. And the East Nuke is one of the prominent areas that they want to buy, either either the East Nuke or somewhere relatively close to, to Edinburgh. Um, and let's face it, for people that live down south, commuting 40 minutes to Edinburgh isn't exactly that far by their, their books. So, <clears throat> so yeah, it's, it's going to be a strong, strong area. Like, Absolutely. obviously, first-time buyers or social housing as you're talking about is, is always going to be a big problem um and so but yeah i i don't think the brexit in and of itself as i say i don't think it's going to have a huge impact on on us or or our market up here certainly in the short term what about the st andrews property market i mean how do you think uh, the implications of what's going on just now i mean you've, you've where do i think that's going to go in terms of i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure now on, on private landlords to actually turn around to students and say, well, you shouldn't really be staying here because we don't know when you're going to be staying here, if that makes sense. You know, but but the thing is, they've still got to pay the bills. So do we see a collapse in the St Andrews housing market? Don't from an immigration point of view. Well, just from just from a point of view that the, the private rented sector, I mean, Richard, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just going to chip in here. I know I, I, that's, a, that's a tricky one because obviously, like you say, because of the current circumstances, a lot of people's view is that, well, and especially students, eh, and obviously there's a lot of student lets and things in St Andrews, then their view should be, well, you shouldn't be here just now. So, but then that's leaving landlords with empty properties. So it's, it's a kind of balance there as well. Eh, I think especially like Neil says, obviously, eh, students not coming from overseas, especially, um, which is a big part of obviously the St Andrews student market. Um, technically, probably they shouldn't have been here, but then it leaves the it leaves the landlords in a position where they've got empty properties, and like you say, they still have to pay the bills. Um, so I, only time will tell because how long is this going to go on for? I mean, we'd like to all think that there is light at the end there, a short tunnel, but um, potentially it might be a bit longer than um, what people hope it may be. Uh, and we all thought coming into twenty twenty one that uh, things were going to be a lot different, but. Uh, Things are just continuing downwards, I think, in terms of the, the coronavirus effects on things. Um, but, I mean, the rental market's still good. And there's still a lot of people within St Andrews um, that are letting, that are obviously local and still obviously people that are uh, not obviously coming from um, overseas and things as well. So it'll balance itself out. But, um, yeah, it's a tricky one with the students, definitely. 
Yeah, and right across when you look at things like Cooper and you look at Levin as well, I mean, Levin's still outperforming itself. I mean, Levin's yeah. still at 100%. Yeah. You know, about what's, what's come before and what's come after. And yet everybody goes, oh, well, leaving, not really want to live in leaving. And it's like, leaving's up and coming area. Leaving's yeah, I always talk, a billion pounds spent on it. <laughs> I always talk leaving up, and it's not to be biased because obviously that's where it come from. But um, I just think sometimes people out with leaving sometimes, oh, I'm not sure about leaving. I'm like, they didn't realise obviously what it's got to offer and what the perspective, obviously the new train line and things and obviously the new regeneration that's going to be getting done um, within the town centre and things as well and of course the beach linking into um, London links and part of the five coastal route and things um, I mean it's, uh, it's a brilliant place to live and it's um, it's got great rental potential as well. One of the reasons why we do a lot of video you know for external drone footage is actually to show people areas that they've never seen before and and the prospective places they want to stay you yeah. know there's no doubt about that I mean Upper Largo is a beautiful area so we put a lot of drone footage on that we put Runfest as well. We put the Silverburn. We put the the the, the leading loop for running and cycling and off-road mountain biking. You know, these are all things that we put online in order for people to see. And we do that for most areas as well because you'd be amazed. I mean, I, you know, when you go around the world, I actually test this all. I'm geeky like that. <laughs> I test this all the time when I go around the world, and I say, and when people say, "Where do you stay?" I, I do the easy option, and I do say, "Well, I'm about, I'm about, um, I'm about 16 miles outside St Andrews." And then some people go, "Where? What? Yeah. You don't know St Andrews? But the home of golf? No, <laughs> you don't know St Andrews." And it's amazing it's people, people. and yet everybody assumes that everybody's going to know St Andrews outside around the whole. What do you mean they don't know St Andrews? That's a damn disgrace. <laughs> 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 but but do you know what I mean, Philistine? <laughs> but that's that's the sort of everybody just assumes that everybody's going to know St Andrews because it's on the television most of the time when golf comes up, and it, and it's earmarked as the home of golf. And it's similar to a degree about the East Nuke. You know, everybody thinks that everybody else in the world knows about the East Nuke or even the country or even outside of Fife or even outside of the East Nuke. But you'd be amazed at how many people, if you were to go to Dunfermline and say, Do you know, have you been to Anshler? Have you been to Anshler? No, 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 no. No, nobody probably know what it is or where it is and what it entails. Because we we take it for granted what's on our doorstep and we don't actually, you know, we don't actually appreciate it, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Disneyland. It's like when you look at Florida. Yeah, I used to sit and say to people, I used to think about people and thought, God, it's pretty be brilliant having Disneyland on your doorstep. And I remember asking one person that stayed there before and they went, No. Never been. <laughs> I went, <"What?" laughs> it's like when you go to visit when you go to visit someone's house and they've got a pool table. And you say, Oh god, that'd be great. You'd be sitting playing pool all the time or standing playing pool all the time. But we actually had a pool table and it was the cat used it most. Um, <laughs> knocking the balls about and putting them down the holes but uh no if it's there on your doorstep you don't appreciate it so maybe it's better to live a frugal life and just appreciate what other people can give you which is one of the benefits i think of living on a coastal village because for me when it comes to winter um you don't experience the huge extremes of all the snow because the sea air gets rid of most of the snow so if you want to go to the snow, you can just go and land a wee bit and you can get the snow no bother. If you don't want the snow, you just go back to the coastal village and hey-ho, you've not got the snow anymore. Um, so there's a benefit to actually being just on your doorstep and coming back, and what, which is what I see with the benefit of St Andrews as well. St Andrews is literally 20, 25 minutes away. 
So I can go over to St Andrews, I can enjoy these sands, I can enjoy the West Sands, I can enjoy the, the, the restaurants and the pubs, obviously not just now, um, but when it's there and the cinema and everything else like that and all the things that St Andrews has to offer and the golf as well, but in Creighton Park, and then I can just come back home. So I have that benefit because it's right on my doorstep. And same with East Nuke and the same with Glenrothes, the same with Cooper, the same with everywhere all about five. You know, the, the, I mean, the same, same with Loch Gelly. But even Loch Gelly's got the, the million pound cycle track. And then it's also got Loch Ore Meadows, which is a beautiful location for a lot of people for triathlon, you know, for off, you know, for um, uh, out, you know, external swimming, for um, freshwater swimming. That's it. Loch Ore is brilliant for that, for triathlon. And then also for cycling off road as well. And also for, um, for walks and canoeing. And, you know, there's lots of things on your doorstep that we don't actually know about, but we take for granted. We're getting a bit off the beaten track anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what will happen to five house prices? This way we're going to do. The five property market in 2019 was held back because of the uncertainty of Brexit deal. You know, that's it. Um, in 2020, in January, we saw the demand released in the fabled Boris bounce um, for the buyer and seller activity to fall off a cliff during March in the first lockdown. It then took off like a rocket once lockdown was lifted. I mean, would... To a degree, I kind of did predict that. We kind of thought that as well with indicators. But I was really surprised where it went. I mean, the spike was huge. I mean, we're talking about astronomical numbers in terms of activity. Um, and then the UK house prices are 4.9% higher, 4.19% uh, higher today, year on year. Although some areas are breaking the mould, like Aberdeen, whose house prices have actually dropped over 5% at the other end of the scale. I mean, Worcester's house prices have increased by 11.9% year on year. Um, a lot of uh, the growth in UK property prices have been fueled by buyers spending their stamp duty savings on the purchase of a new home, yet it cannot be ignored. Um, of the 160,700 workers in fight, 10,600 are still on furlough, although roughly about 40% of people are still only part-time furlough. So when the furlough scheme ends in April 2021, Unemployment is likely to rise in excess of the 11%, like we spoke about. Whilst the protection of the homeowners utilising mortgage holidays will finish as well. And piloting the rocky uh, shoreline of the recession is, is more important than the Brexit deal of, for five homeowners and buy-to-let landlords, buyers and sellers. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You know, it is actually navigating that and make sure you're in a position to actually protect yourself to a degree. You know, Neil, we'll come back to you because obviously mortgages are more important. It's a big financial commitment and it's a big proportion of your income. Is there any sort of way to protect or remortgage or refinance or holiday payments? Is there anything like that available? Um, well, the holiday payment scheme's obviously been extended, I think, until March at the moment. Um, if you've not already taken your up to six months that you can take a payment break on your mortgage, uh, it's, it would still be available to you. Um, there, as we've discussed, there's not any insurance products out there to protect income if you're made it redundant. But obviously, there are insurance products out there to protect yourself against illness and injury and that kind of thing, which is always a big thing to think about, especially during a global pandemic. Um, the in terms of your monthly payments on a on a mortgage, there's still reams of people out there that are sitting on a variable rate and they think that interest rates have gone down over the last few years it's great but the sort of lowest 
variable rate from the major lenders at the moment is around about three and a half percent up to 5.3 5.99 still whereas mm -hmm. anyone with a bit of equity if they remortgaged and got themselves onto a fixed rate while they're still at record low levels they could be looking at interest rates well under two percent yeah so and obviously they're then getting the protection that if interest rates were to rise which isn't going to happen for the foreseeable but as and when they do start to go up they're then protecting the fact that the mortgage payments can't increase but in the short term they could save a significant amount of money just by remortgaging to another lender i was going to ask you neil about um interest only mortgages i i've come across two specific cases where people were on interest only mortgages and it had come to the end of their term or coming to the end of the term and they were having to sell the property to pay off the mortgage is that correct or am i picking it up wrong um um in theory it's well i mean the, the, the lender can can really force that if you're in a serious situation speak to your lender they'll generally usually be amenable to give, giving an extension um it may only be a matter of a few months for you to try and find a buyer but there are other options out there so people think that because there are 65 they can't get a mortgage but that's not the case because we can get mortgages up to potentially on a residential basis up to 80 depending on what pension income they may have um, and then there's also the potential option for a lot of people of, of equity release mortgages where they could flip it onto an equity release that, in, that potentially doesn't get have to get paid back until they they pass away or move into uh, retirement housing so there are other options that can keep them in the home um, we, our company actually recently just launched a later life lending company as part of part of uh, what we were offering through Carol Mortgages. So we've now got that sector of the market covered as well. So anyone that is getting to the stage where they're coming to the end of an interest only mortgage, speak to a mortgage broker, we'll have options there that you probably won't come across through your own bank. And if we can't deal with it through a standard traditional lender, We've then got other options for passing on to our colleagues in the, the later, later life lending sector that, again, could, could keep you in your home until until you, you die. Yeah, there's there's two options. There's two things that I picked up on there, what you were saying, Neil, is quite important. And we've looked at ourselves as uh, cover, you know, critical cover. I mean, we've looked at exposure in terms of because we're back to let landlords, we have big mortgages. So there is certain areas we want to make sure we are covered in terms of risk if anything happens. So we've taken out recently, you know, with yourselves and uh, this, this life cover um, to make sure that we are covered in any event of critical illness, you know, uh, uh, or, or death for, for want of a better word. Um, that's when you would actually, that's when you have to make sure you minimise the risk. This is where it comes back to the training in terms of where I've always learned an industry from people like Branson, from people like Arnold Sugar, it's minimise the downside so, in, so so to make sure that you're protected all, all the time and minimise the risk as well. So life cover is really important in terms for some people and, and I think you should, for everybody, they should really look at their situation and look at how exposed they are if anything did happen to them in terms of um, uh, their critical illness, in terms of, you know, maybe the fact that you can't communicate anymore because it's uh, coronavirus is taking a, a huge effect on you, or possibly in the event of death, to make sure that your loved ones are actually there is something for them rather than have to rather than have to do that. It's interesting you said, Andrea, about the interest-only mortgages. I, I have an interest-only mortgage. We've had an interest-only mortgage for a lot of years with the Clydesdale, and we still have it. Um, but it's not come to the end of the term. 
But what they allow us to do is every couple of years when we're on a fixed rate, when it comes back to variable, they, they, are, they actually allow us just to go back on another fixed rate deal again. So they allow us to do that without actually saying, no, you've got to convert to a, a, a capital repayment vehicle where you've got to pay the capital and interest. Um, so we've had this from way from the credit crunch way before and we're still allowed to keep it. But I've no doubt that what you said is when the term comes to an end, is that's when they say, well, you've got to do something about it. I mean, I'm not a dafty here. It's £130,000 and I'm getting it at 2%. <laughs> I could make a 12% net return and buy to let. So why on earth would I take all my money to buy to let and make it 12% and pay off a 2% loan? You know, that's my theory. And, and I'll make 10% on the differential every single time. So that's the that's the strategy in terms of buy to let. Make sure you look at your lending and make sure you look at the finances you have. And sometimes, like this, I classify the mortgage I have as good debt. You know, it makes money for me because I take that money and invest it elsewhere and make more money on that money. So as far as I'm concerned, it's an asset rather than a liability. Well, that's another story. <laughs> that's millionaire mindset stuff and investment strategy, which is two workshops I actually have online on YouTube. There's a wee plug for my workshops. Um, so for to see these episodes on both of them on our YouTube channel for five properties. Um, yeah, so these are two critical areas which I would, I would make sure uh, you, you're you up to speed with and don't, my advice is probably, and, and your advice, Neil, as well, is probably don't leave it till last minute. Well, no, I mean, that's, yeah, the key thing. Um, I mean, on, on the life insurance thing, the later you leave it, the more expensive it becomes, apart from anything else. And people will say, well, the, the, the they'll get the house, whatever. But I mean, if you if you're if you're they're inheriting a house with a debt on it, that debt needs to be paid back. It's not their debt; it's your debt, and it could ultimately lead to somebody having to sell the property to pay off your debt, and your family, quite frankly, could end up homeless. Um, as you, but as you say, deal with it early. Makes deal deal dealing with it early stops the problem becoming too big to, for anything to be done. It's also the cheapest way to get it dealt with as well, not just from the point of view that your insurance premiums would be cheaper on a life insurance policy the younger you are. But if you are looking to take on a different type of mortgage, as I say, we can do residential mortgages on a re repayment basis up to age 80. But if you wait until you're 69, rather than doing it at, at 60, that's nine years less you've got to pay back this capital which is going to make a huge difference to the size of the monthly payment on the mortgage. Size of the monthly payments, exactly. And plus the fact, uh, you know, the, the, you never know if you wait for too long, your the mortgage providers might actually turn around and say, I tell you what, we've changed their mind. It's now a big risk for covering people for giving them mortgages from that age onwards. Um, so you never know. It's it, To me, it's like, um, I almost say to people, like, if you wait for that and you're thinking about that process, then you're more or less getting into realms of speculation and almost gambling. To a degree, in terms of where you are, I mean that's how I look at it anyway. Um, you know, is that how you would look at Andrea? I think, obviously, the retirement age has increased quite a lot significantly since you know people used to be people were old when they reached sixty, and now they're still regarded as being very young in their seventies, and of only getting to elderly when they reach eighty. So. I think still being able to pay a mortgage, a lot of them are still working. A lot of them still have very useful lives. And um, I, I'm glad to see that they're not being um, penalised in any way and not being able to to, to get access to, to lending. So I think that's really good. 
I've got to live till 106 to be the oldest man to run 100 metres. I've got to live to 106 to get a day off. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Right back one. <laughs> I do think, though, uh, there is a bit of uncertainty about um, the qualifying age for mortgages and things among, amongst people, and people aren't that sure or, or certain whether they could get mortgages at certain ages, so it's good to hear that, and I think if if they are unsure, they should speak to, obviously, somebody like yourself, Neil. Um, definitely. Yeah, I mean, general rule of thumb, most lenders will take employed income or self-employed income under normal circumstances up to age 70, yeah. Um, there are some lenders that potentially up to 75 and w with pension income, we've got lenders that will go up to age 80, no problem at all. And then, as I say, we've now got our uh, later life lending arms part of the company as well that for all the people that maybe don't want to be making mortgage payments, but want to stay in the home, we've got options there for them as well. Yeah, good. Okay, so let's like a, let's take a look. I mean, this is this is I, I think it's important to recap where we are in terms of house price changes. So I've looked at some of the information about where house prices are and how they have been over the last twelve months. So this is quite an interesting one. Um, so we're beginning to get a clearer picture of the impact of coronavirus coronavirus has had on house prices overall. But the ongoing stamp duty hold and the prospects of continuing lockdown measures, the figures could fluctuate. So. Um, the most reliable barometer, I would say, of house prices is the land registry. So what is the land registry saying in uh, the last, um, they've got a two month lag remember, so the land registry says that the price of a property in the UK has increased by 0.7% uh, month on month and a 5.4% year on year in October um, to reach uh, an average of 245,443. Okay, so who else says that now? So look, right moves index is more up to date, but it's based on asking prices rather than sold prices. So, you know, that's quite a different statistic. In December's report, uh, average asking prices had dropped by 0.6% month on month, but had risen to 6.6% year on year. Um, nationwide as well, they are the in, on mortgage lending. So the Nationwide's index is reported an 8.8% monthly and a 7.3% annual rise in prices in December, while Halifax, based on lending again as well, reported a 1.2% monthly and a 7.6% annual increase, uh, increase in November year on year in November 2020. Um, so, I mean, there's great optimism about around the property market in terms of where we are and what we want to do. Um, but I, I feel that, you know, house prices will continue um, possibly to rise. I mean, um, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that just now. I mean, what's, your, what's everybody's predictions for next year? I mean, where do we think the property market and house prices will be? I mean, I, I do think that um, that's going to be quite... Uh, um, I think it's going to be quite a fruitful year in terms of house prices and things. I think things are going to continue to rise slightly. I mean, eventually things are going to level out. And I think, like I say, it's going to depend on area. I think a lot of areas will differ. Like we were talking about Aberdeen and the difference between Aberdeen and Worcester earlier, um, house prices and things. And luckily, Fife, I think, is somewhere in the middle. And I think it's due to, obviously, location and what we've got to offer and things that we've already spoke about. Um, so I think these are all factors that contribute to it. But I do think the house prices are going to, continue to uh, to be quite good uh, throughout 2021. Mm -hmm. I mean, I there's Yeah, Andrea, go. Sorry, I think the house prices are going to be completely reflective on the demand. Uh, and until we start getting more stock on, more people wanting to sell, um, there is going to be, more, you know, 
more people looking for less properties so the the price is going to inflate yeah it's always always the demand that pushes it up it's just trying to get the supply to meet that demand uh, which is what uh, we've been working with uh, for the last few months yeah people are still of the mentality that they're wanting to wait for that perfect home for themselves mm -hmm. um before they even consider putting their own property on the market um we i think we're beginning to get through to them now um you know we have had people saying you know it's nearly ready let's just get it on um and we'll see how it goes and we'll look for a house once we've got a sale on ours mm -hmm. so it, i think we're beginning to break through to people that that's the best way to go it's, it's the old uh, it's the old adage about you know i'll put my house on until something until i see another house coming on that i want to buy but it's like you need to get your house on in order to be in a position to actually proceed to buy that one or nobody mm -hmm. will entertain you I mean, i've just said it there yesterday i said it there yesterday we got an offer but on a property um before it actually went to market before we even actually got a pre-launch on, on on facebook as well so we're getting offers before actual property are coming to market as well as property just even on on facebook itself so if you're not on the market or you're not registered with your estate agent or you're not following any social media pages you'll miss every opportunity for a property um, it possibly might come in the market you want to have that's really what it's down to so for me that tells us uh, maybe maybe we are starting into a mini boom again you know that's possibly where it is so let's uh, have a look. I mean, there's optimism. Let's look at this. There's optimism around the property market at the moment. I mean, Rightmove is saying that the average time to agree a sale was 52 days in November compared to 67 days the year earlier. So what they're forecasting is house prices will rise by 4% in 2021. It's good to be in company because I've said that already. <laughs> That's where I'm thinking it is. Um, it predicts a, a lull in the second quarter of the year. Once the stamp duty cut ends, I don't think that's going to finish, but it says it won't be a make-or-break situation. Um, we're going to Zoopla. Zoopla predicts annual house price growth will reach 5% in February before slowing down to 1% by the end of 2021. Not too sure about that. I think uh, I think the 4% was an accurate. Probably in my mind, there's a 4% is an accurate uh, description. Uh, Halifax says house prices will fall. Uh, between 2 and 5% this year. And the Centre of uh, Economics and Business Research predicts that house prices could fall by 5%. Uh, where, I mean, that's gone from opposite end of the spectrum, isn't it? There's a lot of contradiction there. Right. So right move is saying, wait a minute, house prices are going to increase, you know, next year by 4%, and possibly some of them are saying 5%. But this, off the, you know, uh, Centre of Economics and Business um, Research says that, no, house prices could fall as much as 5%. That's a huge swing. You know, does that just mean it's up for grabs anywhere and nobody's actually really... I mean, they're, they're pinning their colours to the master degree, but, but you know, is it really telling us we don't know where it's going to go? Uh, again, it's again, it's people's... Uh, well, all the predictions of things um, differ so much. Um, I, I would tend to agree with you, Jim, about the 4 or 5% as we progress through the year is probably um, uh, where we're going to be at. Uh, and I do think things will eventually level out slightly, but um, to drop the 5%, I think, is a bit um, drastic. Well, website activity and that is still going, still going really good good strong. I mean, as I, I did a, a vlog yesterday, and Rightmove says activity for year-on-year on, year on their website has gone up 30%. Activity year-on-year year for us has gone up 50%. Yeah, our own websites. We, we've added another 100,000 people coming onto our website in a year. We're up at 300,000. 
you know, that's 25,000 people a month. I remember I was jumping for joy in 2012 when we had 7,000 people a year. <laughs> I was going, yeah, beauty, we've got 500 people a month coming on our website. Now it's 25,000. <laughs> I can't believe that. And, and we're, we're in the same realms in terms of local reach and local uh, local audience of, of Rightmove. We're actually double Zoopla. We're actually outperforming Zoopla by 100%. And we know that because we've actually got tracers and trackers and both and all these websites that actually shows us all that information and feeds all these analytics back to us. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how the market's still going strong, and I think it will still continue. But more importantly, what will happen to mortgage rates? You know, the real benefit of the Brexit deal is that there will be no tariffs on on most goods coming into the UK. Of fifty two percent of all goods imported into the UK um, from the EU, totaling about. 374 billion per annum. Um, the UK government were has, were planned to add between two and 10 percent tariffs under the World Trade Organization rules on the vast majority of goods. So price increases because of these tariffs would have fueled inflation, um, meaning the Bank of England would have to increase interest rates. Well, I'm not really sure if that's a, uh, I'm not really sure if that's a strong correlation as, uh, before. I mean, that used to be a one club attempt um, from for I think it was Norman Lamont said that at one point stood up in Parliament and said, you know, we've only got one club to pay to play at any point in time, and it's actually to curb inflation, and it's increased interest rates. I don't think that's applicable now. I mean, what do you think, Neil? Is that is that still applicable? It would, you know, the, the one club approach to say inflation's going up, so I tell you what, we'll just put interest rates up, and that'll sort it. It depends on the causes for inflation as well. I mean, if you're talking about a tariff, yeah, there's going to be a bump, bump in prices, but it's going to be a short-term issue. So inflation would take a hike at that period of time, but then it would level off again. If there's other forces putting inflation up and basically people spending too, got too much spare money to spend and that's what's putting prices up, then, yeah, an interest rate hike has a benefit because it removes money from the the, the economy and, and slows down price rises. But that's that's not where we are. Um, the other the other factor is when you look at the the cost of COVID and the cost of the furlough and the self-employed income support schemes and and all these other schemes that are out there to try and keep the economy well our heads above water um, and not not obviously everyone's benefiting from that unfortunately but as a whole all that money that's being plowed into a black hole right now it's got to be paid for. The only way it's going to be paid for is to keep the the economy functioning, business producing, and selling, generating tax income, and if you put up interest rates, that takes away takes money out of the economy in terms of what's going to be generated in tax revenues. So interest rate hikes would damage the economy more than benefit it just because of inflation, mm-hmm. in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I, there's other ways to do it. There's other ways to curve it. There's taxation. You know that that yeah. could possibly that takes the money supply out as well, but actually raises money for the for for the payback for the fill in the hole. Basically, you know the, the you know the, we looked at before about the capital gains uh, office of tax simplification. I've recommended actually to change the way capital gains is done um, in order to simplify it, but also raise 19 billion um, for the uh, treasury. You know to get that. I mean. Uh, we'll come back to mortgages as well, though. The average five homeowner um, mortgage is two hundred about £270. Uh, that's around about a 
percent interest rate, um, and their average owing is around about one hundred and ten thousand pounds. Yet, if uh, I mean that's interest when you think about it only. I mean, the if it's a twenty five year and it's on two point nine four, you're in terms of your capital, you've got to you've, in, in these numbers, you've got to pay over about five hundred pounds every single month to get that. Yeah, if interest rates actually move up 1.5%, five homeowners' mortgage monthly payments will rise. I mean, interest only wise will rise to £407. And, and that, capital repayment wise, will be about £607. You know, that's uh, that's a big jump from uh, 518 to 607. And then subsequently, if interest rates were at their 50 year average, uh, then the mortgage payments would be an eye watering 793 interest only which is round about £896 on a capital repayment basis for that same mortgage. Um, I mean, that's 8.65%. I think we'll ever return to that level. Uh, well, touch wood, no. Um, <laughs> that, that's MDF, is it no? <laughs> I mean, we, we, didn't, we didn't even hit, hit that level during um, pre-credit crunch levels, um, thankfully. Um, I think they were up at around about five and a quarter, I think, roughly at the peak, just before yeah. the collapse. So highly unlikely that we'll get to that level. Um, I, as I say, in the short term, there might be some normalization when we come out of lockdown and hopefully everyone gets the vaccination, et cetera, et cetera. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if interest rates make it back up to about half to three quarters of a percent where they were pre-pandemic but to, to get up to that level in the foot not for it would take a major economic disaster of which we've not already been through for that kind of thing to happen and i, I just i just can't see it um obviously the other as we said before though the, the only way to protect yourself against potential interest rate rises is to get, get yourself onto one of these record low fixed rates that are available that's it is there five year and ten year deals out there still uh, a few 10 years um, <clears throat> that are out there. Um, five years, most lenders do two or five year fixed rate. And for in, certainly for people that have got a bit of equity in the property, there's actually five year fixed rates out there that are as cheap as two years, two year fixed. And that's not normally the case. You're normally, the longer you fix it for, the higher the rate tends to be. But at the moment, five year fixed rates are incredibly competitive. Um, Obviously, one thing what to keep in mind: you decide to move at year three. Ha, that's exactly what I was about to come on to. <laughs> um, obviously, you do take a longer-term fix. You are tying yourself in for longer. There are potential penalties for coming out of the mortgage early. Uh, it's most certainly mainstream lenders. Their products are portable, but there's no guarantee that you will be approved when you apply for the, the new mortgage on the new property. So, again speak to your advisor to get the appropriate advice before you make your decision, but definitely worthwhile looking at. See, when um, first-time buyers and things are getting approved for mortgages, I mean, pretty much, obviously, their budget, their spending, and there's such a, a huge process to go through of working out what their affordability is. But if interest rates were to rise again, I mean, does wriggle room get put into that initial calculation when they're getting a mortgage or are they pretty much right to the wire for what their their, their repayments are on their current mortgage? Um, well, that's a very good question. And it's actually, you call it wiggle room, we call it stress testing. But yeah, it's built in. 
So pre-credit crunch, a lot of lenders still used the old-fashioned income multiplier where they take your income, multiply it by four and a half times, hey, presto, there's your mortgage. But if you're if you're getting at maximum mortgage, but you're only taking it over 15 years instead of 25 or 30, it makes a huge difference to the monthly payments. So it, it, it doesn't work. It's not a, a good way of calculating it. Since credit crunch, people borrowing too much more than they could afford, and then the interest rates going up prior to the collapse, um, lenders have introduced affordability models that take into account how long a mortgage is, number of kids in the house, how much you're spending on dog food, um, but also how uh, they do stress tests. So they do look at when they're calculating the maximum figure based on the current income and outgoings, what would happen to their monthly payments over the next three to five years if interest rates rise. So that's built into the, the lender's criteria and calculations. As an advisor, I'm only allowed to advise somebody to take a mortgage up to 90% of their net uh, take-home income, um, in, including all their other outgoings and that kind of thing. So we're le we've got to leave at least a 10% tolerance there in, so in terms of somebody in terms of somebody monthly budget. So yeah, we're, we're we've got to factor in all that kind of thing to make sure the advice is appropriate. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, it's clear that you need to make sure you get the right advice. I think that's the most important thing, Neil, from your point of view. Get the right advice from a mortgage, a mortgage, a professional mortgage broker to know exactly where you stand, to know exactly what your limits are, uh, to know exactly where you are. I, and, and as well, I mean, the stress test thing, I'd say to a lot of younger people and even people in general, um, just because you can get a mortgage at £250,000, don't necessarily look at getting a house at £250,000. You know, live within your means to a degree. Uh, plan for things like it, stuff that could happen. For example, if it's two of you getting the mortgage, if one of you loses your job, will you be able to sustain your mortgage with just the one of you? That's a, that's another way to look at it as well. Um, if any of you want to take a sabbatical and say, I tell you what, I want to go back to college or university, I want to do a degree, I want to do an HND, and then you have to look at it like that as well. Can you afford to do that under that situation? So these are all things in life planning for later on that you should think about doing um, uh, when taking out your mortgage. I mean, that's that's probably key there here as, uh, as well, Neil. Eh? It's, no, it's not just about mortgage, oh, yeah. it's up to the hill. No, exactly. And it's, I mean, I, I would say the people that really stretch their budgets tend to be the younger ones that maybe are wanting to buy a new build direct from a builder. And yeah. they want to go, go in for the best possible property. And they are, they are quite often they end up stretching themselves. Those that are looking... Uh, the the, the second-hand market tend to be a bit more maybe practical or pragmatic. Um, and quite often they're shocked by what I tell them. They might t say, I want a mortgage of 115. I run an affordability calculation. They can get 210. And they, yeah. they almost go off their seat. Go, oh, well, I don't want to be paying that. Um, so, but yeah, and it's part of what I talk to a client about is, well, you're buying this property now. Where, where, what are you going to be looking at doing in the next two, three, five years? Where's your income going to go? Are you going to be having kids? All this kind of thing. Um, and I mean, we're talking about the choice between two and five year fixed rates. My personal preference is for a first time buyer, because of what you mentioned, Jim, about the earlier payment charges. I don't like putting first time buyers on a five year fixed rate, especially younger ones that are just coming into it. They potentially got an income that's going to be increasing over the next few years. And the the amount of people that take a five-year fixed rate and then phone you up 18 months later 
they've because they've got a, a new a new boyfriend or partner or they're having a baby and they suddenly need to buy a new property and they say well i need to buy a house that's and i'm that's great but you've got a five thousand pound penalty on the mortgage that i told you not to take in the first place yeah so, my father often said to me um you know when i, I remember when i was younger my father gave me some sound advice he says I'm amazed at how you guys in the younger generation want to live in a house that's taken me 40 years to get to. <laughs> and you want to live in it now. He says, you know, you ever thought about actually putting the sweat, blood and tears and effort into actually achieving that rather than just borrowing it all the time? And it kind of it kind of stuck home with me. And, and that's what I've always kind of lived by. Hence the reason why I say that to a lot of people, because it's just my father talking to me in terms of the advice that he gave me. So, and that's it. You know, that's almost us finished, guys. That's probably a way to, to finish on. Andrea, final roundup for you of this, you know, things that could happen. Oh, I think, I think we're going to have a very busy uh, remainder of January into February. Um, just make sure that everybody gets the advice, stick by your coronavirus um rules uh stay safe while you're looking for property and remember it's essential uh only that we're, we're allowed to do so perfect richard yeah i think um despite the current circumstances of things um the property market and things is still going to continue to be quite busy i think it's as a there's a lot of opportunity out there whether you're a landlord whether you're a first-time buyer uh, and I think just to recap on what we've been speaking about with regards to mortgages and things with you today, Neil, I think there's a lot of uncertainty with people, whether it be mortgage lending at a certain age or whether it's um, what um, you've got to prepare for in any eventuality in terms of like insurances and things in place. So always seek the right advice like uh, from yourself, Neil, I think is definitely something to uh, think about when you're dealing with mortgages, whether that's buy to let, first time buyer and things as well. And yourself, Neil? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm feeling pretty positive about the way things are start looking at the beginning of the year. Um, as I said, I don't think Brexit's going to have much of an impact to us because we have a deal. If it was a no Brexit, a no deal Brexit, different story. I think the, key, yeah. the main influence will be, like you say, the unemployment figures potentially caused by um, the COVID crisis. Um, but I, I put a post up on my Facebook page the other day coming into the new year there's there's a lot of, of optimistic things out there in terms of mortgages um, just to quickly recap the land tax freeze is still there till march and hopefully maybe extended more and more lenders coming back into 90 percent lending the upgraded and improved version of the lift scheme the first home fund coming back beginning of this year at some point um house prices are still on the increase lenders are happy to accept gifted deposits from family um, and uh, for even things like it, green mortgages now available for the most energy efficient houses and things like that. So the mortgage mortgage market's in a good place. The main difficulty, unfortunately, and I think it's going to last a while, will be for the self-employed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in terms of mine, the mortgage rates are going to obviously stay record, record low. It's going to be five to ten years anyway. In terms of the housing market and Brexit. Brexit in terms of Scotland, I don't think it'll have that major impact. Um, housing market's still open for business. We're obviously making sure that people are in a position to proceed. That's the most important point of all. You need to be in a position to proceed or you will not get a viewing just now under lockdown rules. That's the way it is and socially distancing. And that's us guys, that's us reached the hour. 
Uh, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Richard. And thanks, everybody else, for watching. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thanks, Ian. And, uh, and I'll see everybody next week. Uh, great story I'm going to talk about in Sunday Swap tomorrow. Grant Cunningham, who have lost 10 stone in a year. That's going to be on at 10.30 tomorrow live. So you're going to have a chance to ask Grant how he did it. And I'll see everybody next week on the Five Property Show. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.